Words of Colour in Conversation podcast with me, your host, Heather Marks. As always, I'll be talking to creators of colour about their practice and work, making this podcast an opportunity to get tips, find inspiration for your own practice and learn something you didn't know along the way. Today's guest is writer, comedian, professional wrestling manager and filmmaker, Harry Ramakrishnan. You may have heard of him under his pseudonym, Pariah Khan. In 2016, Pariah Khan was voted one of Bristol's 24 most influential young people by Brife magazine, and since then has completed a UK tour of his one-man show in Indian Abroad, and was selected to make his first broadcast quality film, Slice, by Channel 4's Random Act Scheme. He is now back in Bristol and here with me in the watershed down by the harbour side where we are recording today's episode. If you hear any background bustle, that will be the folks enjoying a walk by the river next to us. Right, we are going to talk about an Indian abroad slice and managing your creative practice if you have multiple disciplines. Hello Pariah, how are you? I am good, thank you. This is Pariah Khan, your Prince of Persuasion, the South Asian sensation, the bodacious bro with a bebop flow, and writer and performer of one-man show in Indian Abroad, amongst other things, Pariah Khan. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Um, first of all, let's talk about an Indian Abroad. For those of you who don't know, An Indian Abroad is Pariah's one-man show directed by Eduardo Gama about Krishnan, a young man who is stifled by life in middle-class India and desperate to see more of the world, and decides to visit the exotic island of Great Britain to learn about life and who he is. Words of Colour reviewed it when it came to Bristol's Wardrobe Theatre, and it recently had its final performance earlier in July at the Masala Arts Festival in Tyneside. Pariah Khan, congratulations on the UK tour. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's a show I'm very proud of. Uh, it started off as a short 10 minute piece with Bristol Orvik, and then I just kept taking that to short little festivals here and there or scratch nights. Like, here's an example of my work, it's 10 minutes. Every time people come back to me, like, what happens next? <laughs> Say that's it, 10 minutes long. And I was like adamant for like a year, this is a 10 minute piece. Oh. Then I was part of Encounters Film Festival. They had a scheme that was called Widening the Lens about trying to get people who were underrepresented in the film industry to take part in some different workshops and pair up with a mentor. Paired up with a mentor, started talking to him, sent him some examples of my writing, including the 10 minute piece. And he said, oh, so, I mean, you've just asked to be paired up with a TV writer. I definitely think there's more in this. And like suddenly I was like, okay, someone from the industry has given me permission. Now I can kind of expand onto it kind of thing. But it was just weird that for one year that I wouldn't give myself permission to do it. Mm. But then I did. Uh, it got funding through Arts Council England, the Creative Youth Network in Bristol, Arnolfini Arts in Bristol, and I was also paired with a mentor from Rising Arts Agency who are also in Bristol. And then it's the, the purpose of the show, I guess, was to satirise the Gap Yard experience and try to expose the ludicrousness of this myth that you can find and transform yourself um, by going on a year's journey somewhere different. And I wanted to successfully do that. Ironically, as a result, I have just been travelling the country for 12 months. <laughs> seeing cities I've never seen before and growing as a performer and as a person because of it. So I've kind of derailed the entire point of my show. <laughs> but you flip, the, you flip the lens of the colonial trope, the colonial explorer trope, and so that was what was really interesting to see in the show. It was white Englishness that was the 
that was the focus of our attentions, whether it was a particular kind of white Englishness. You know, it has um, its unconscious unconscious biases. I'm using quotation marks here because unconscious bias is just prejudice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it was kind of hard putting under the lens, putting under the focus, uh, casual racism, bigotry, and all of these kind of like unchecked stereotypes that just get flung out there towards, well, that were getting flung out towards Krishnan and how he experiences that. Um, so, I mean, what was a high point for you and what lessons have you learned from this experience? I'd say it was definitely to explore that. And the reason I wanted to do that more was because this was going to be touring around two theatres that already have a very left-wing, liberal-leaning audience. So to go around and do the material to them that was all about like fascism and uh, overt racism that's already out there would be kind of a pointless endeavour because it would be preaching to the converted and it mm. wouldn't really be doing anything. So I really wanted to focus on the more everyday prejudices that that left-leaning audience does actually have mm -hmm. uh, and try to use that to make them think more about it. I think there's quite a few interesting things that have happened throughout the tour uh, as a result. Um, one being at Kyoto, the last event, the wardrobe have asked me to come to like fly the show thinking, you know, your show would be quite relevant to the people that are here. Mm. Um, why don't you come along? I was like, okay, great. Printed out some flyers, started handing them out to people yeah, and stuff. Yeah, I I got one. <laughs> Sales 101. <laughs> and then... As I was doing that, I was speaking to one of the women that was there. This is bearing in mind, I'm assuming your your audience knows what Kyoto is and what the event is and the platforms, like four people of colour who are involved in performance and theatre and coming to support them. And as I'm there flyering the show, I give a flyer to a woman who says, oh yeah, I'm from Bradford. And I was like, oh, you'd love the opening for the show. It touches on some of the stuff. She's like, oh yeah, great. So do I get a curry with the show? And I was what? just like, of course, even in this space, of course this is going to happen. Oh my goodness. And there's been a few of those. And again, it also differs, I found, between different people, whether they're white or not white, that some people look at the show as in oh, it's a very light show. Mm -hmm. And other people have looked at it as like it's actually much more, it was much deeper or much more deeply affected them. Maybe it's just because... The South Asian experience isn't talked about as much and it's mm. the first time they saw it. But also, I don't know, it's just this weird dichotomy between mm. how different people experience the show and what some people want from it. So I know mm, some okay. people have come and been like, okay, that was great. I really enjoyed it in terms of like the performance and other stuff. Mm -hmm. But what about it going deeper? And I was like, I can understand that, but within the year of which this is happening to him, I don't think he would process it and mm -hmm. understand the deeper implications. I think it would just be these constant little right. microaggressions and attacks. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe another show that I'm going to do afterwards is more about it, but less about character Krishnan, mm -hmm. or perhaps more about me. All right, let's move into Slice, because you're not just a performer, but a filmmaker as well. Can you tell us about Slice? Sure, so Slice is a short film. I had the chance through Channel 4's Random Act scheme to make my debut broadcast quality short film. And it was really a great chance. It's a very, I would call it a deliciously dark three minute comedy horror about the millennial graduate experience. Now, as part of Random Acts, I 
didn't really have too much involvement with film or much to do with it before. But once I was part of the scheme, I started looking through some of the different work and I saw that they'd done a lot with BME filmmakers and I was like, this is really cool. And then I started looking and I saw that, if not all, the work that was coming from BME filmmakers were all about race, identity, culture, something like that in a very similar fashion. And some of the films are really good, but I just felt there's something about that that didn't necessarily sit right with me. Like, not that it was like a conscious like fetishization or like exoticization of it. There's just something about it. So I had the idea for the film, I had the idea for like how to shoot it and stuff. But then as a, as a secret note, just between me and the producer, I told him that I intentionally wanted to make the whitest film ever as a BME filmmaker. Now, I knew that would then disqualify me from a lot of the BME filmmaker events because it is such a white film that if you just show that without context, people would probably question, why is that as part of this mm -hmm. diverse filmmakers kind of thing? But I'm kind of willing to bite the bullet on it because I wanted to make sure there was something in my like repertoire of like showreel stuff that I could say, this is just a film. This mm -hmm. is not an Indian film, a British Indian film. This is just a film. And that's kind of why I went with it. Let's move on to creative practice. You do so many things. You're a performer, you're a writer, you're a wrestler, you're a comedian. I mean, are you doing all of these things and a day job? It seems like a lot for one guy to handle. So my question to you was, for people who want to explore multiple talents, can you tell us how you're juggling all of these disciplines? What I found is other people are far more concerned with how busy I am than I am. <laughs> well, you're like you've got multiple caveats to your name, and of course you're still delivering on all of them. And so it's, I think it's for people who are, who are multiple, who do have multiple talents and who want to push forward on all of them, and but they're new to this idea of creative entrepreneurship, like because there is no clear set path as opposed to like if you wanted to do STEM, it's like you can understand what steps you would need to take. If you were a multiple, if you were, ta if you were a creative of colour with multiple talents and you wanted to... Be in The Lion King? Be... <laughs> Beyonce, can you hook that up please? Um, Just saying, Mr Gambino, if you need someone in season three of Atlanta... <laughs> Atlanta comes to Bristol. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I mean, how are you? How do you feel your creative on? How do you feel like your creative practice has grown, or you've come to understand it to satisfy all of those passions? So what I first need to clarify is I am not a professional wrestler. I am a professional wrestling manager. Is that what I said? You said professional wrestler, which is in it's within professional wrestling, but I just need to make sure people know. No, that's fine. I said, I can, oh, sorry about that. Be <laughs> because what I loved about wrestling growing up was the entertainment, the characters, the story, the melodrama, the soap opera, and 
I really don't like physical pain. And being a wrestler requires a lot of physical pain. So I'd rather focus on the side that's the emotional storytelling, the connecting with the audience, and that's essentially what people come back for, and that's also what sells tickets. So financially, it's wrestling is a very pure form of capitalism in that way, that the two... It's a very artistically-led capitalistic venture. It's very strange. But... If I were to think about it growing up, I watched loads of TV, and I think my mind was very much TV-related, but I had no idea how to do that or get into that. There was nothing in South Bristol that I knew of Mm. uh, in terms of making that a tangible thing. I took theatre at A-level only because I thought it would help my wrestling skills as a performer when I would eventually go to wrestling. Nothing else really drew me to theatre, apart from Blood Brothers at GCSE. What a great play. That was the extent of my theatrical knowledge, that and Romeo and Juliet. So then I took theatre and fell in love with it and kept on going with it for two years through AS and A2 and then also throughout my time at uni as well. And then only when I finished did I come back to Bristol and think I never tried that wrestling thing. Found a wrestling school, started training there and then started getting booked on shows and... Through all of that, I then, as a wrestler, like wrestling is such a weird art form. It's such a difficult art form to nail because it's just you and a crowd. And I had had the the comfort of a nice theatre audience that are very respectful <laughs> when you're doing your performance and will give you some time. Whereas these guys are like actively trying to get a word in, <laughs> especially when you're a bad guy to try and make you look stupid and to make them get a rise. So you've always got to be on it mm-hmm. and being able to deliver. But not even that, it's just the rhythm of it. Okay. Like, as a performer in theatre, you can create and control everything, and that helps. That means you can do certain things more in theatre that you might not be able to in other places, unless you're really good, like in an Indian abroad or other <laughs> things. But you don't have this oppositional audience coming back at you. So as a wrestler, you then have to try and focus on that. And then having that experience of doing that in wrestling for a bit, when I then wanted to do a one-man theatre show, was invaluable because I was no longer uncomfortable. I used to hate monologues. I couldn't deliver a monologue. Every single monologue I'd done up until that point, I'd always messed up because there was something about theatre that just you on an audience, when everything else I'd done had always been like multi, uh, multi-person plays. Uh, and it's just like it's so out of your comfort zone wrestling is that times a hundred because you've got people baying for your blood (laughs) and so that gave me so much confidence doing a one-person show and then that really helped improve my performance skills but then leaving wrestling for a bit and focusing on that I really grew I did stand up more confidently now as well because again I had this barrier between me and an audience, because I came in from a theatrical point of view of like, I have lines I have to deliver in a particular rhythm, this kind of thing, and that just doesn't work in stand-up. It doesn't. You have to do something else, which I turned out is what I was doing in wrestling. But then having that performance and that experience from wrestling, helping theatre, helping stand-up, then helped my wrestling when I came back because I had so much experience being on my own in front of a crowd like doing a one hour show and then they've all sort of like simultaneously 
helped each other in terms of my understanding of audience, performance, interaction, timing. I would have never thought that. I would have never thought that's the benefit that would have come from doing them. I've just realised that it's been the case. But it's not conventional. Like, I think everything I do is trying to not be conventional, but even when I'm not trying, it's unconventional. So it's worked out great, but that wasn't the plan. So if you have goals of doing multiple different things, just do it. And you might be surprised how the thing that you're trying in music actually ends up helping your theatre or the way you're thinking about stuff. Because not only do I enjoy all these different things, but in each discipline, I enjoy doing something that that discipline doesn't do. So like bringing elements of stand-up into wrestling or elements of wrestling into theatre or elements of theatre the other way. And for a very long time, I made no money from doing any of that. But it was just a great way to perform and learn and kind of grow. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I'm not really good at advice. <laughs> um, but yeah, just do it. Yeah, okay. Just do it. Just do it. Buy Nike. Uh, um, maybe that's what it is. Okay, so then... In so rather than giving advice, I think perhaps it would be useful to see a snapshot, say, of like a month in the life of Prabhai Khan. How does he, how does he do all of these things? Okay, so Monday to Friday, there's the nine to five. Uh, I'm ideally trying to see if I can shave that down to four days a week. Who knows? I will then have different alternating weekends where there's usually at least one wrestling show on a month so I'm prepared for that evenings I'll try and go out to different stand-up nights open mic nights that are out I want to start going to more film events stuff too so it's really going out and doing all of this stuff which I really enjoy whether it's myself performing or seeing other people performing, and I think that's really helped because that's helped grow my network. It didn't in the first year or two. I think this is one mistake people can sometimes do and I made is that when you're going to networking events thinking that the saviour of your career is there <laughs> and going in with that kind of mentality will not only just leave you severely disappointed afterwards but it's just not, it's not necessarily it's not the right mindset to have but it's probably not too healthy either. What you turn out to realise is that person that you met at that night might be the person that you come in contact with again three months, six months, two years down the line, but you've created some sort of connection and in that time you've created other connections between you. I would say in the first year plus, two, three years of all that networking stuff, I don't know if anything really came of it, but then recently, after things start moving and you get like my first debut show, my first debut film, I actually have things I can then send to these people and be mm -hmm. like, I've made work. Here's the advice, make work. Mm -hmm. Don't be one of those 95% of people who say, oh, I really want to make music, but don't. Don't be one of those 95% people who say, I really want to make theatre or write a book, but don't. Or want to make a film, but don't be the person that makes it and at least then you've got something mm -hmm. that you can then show and then yeah and yeah that's going to be more difficult if you've got more different disciplines but 
people will actually see, oh, you can do these different things if you have different things to show. Mm. Do it. Okay, thank you so much, Pariah, for coming on the show and talking about your work and coming to talk to me about so many different things, um, really like probing into your practice. Thank you for allowing that. Um, where can listeners find your work next? So Slice is currently offline because there's a lot of film festivals out there in the world that require it to be offline and want to be very much part of the festival. So yes, potentially there is a version of it that's online from two years ago that isn't graded or fully mixed, but it has been submitted and sent out on the Random Acts page, on their Facebook page, which has 90,000 views, and also on their YouTube channel. But that is not the version that is being sent out to film festivals because that would be bad. If you want to see the final version that's been out and released, it is currently going to the Oregon Scream Week, which is in, um, not in Portland, Oregon, it's just outside, I think, Wilsonville, on Friday the 9th of August, for all our international listeners out there. And if not, it is part of the Nightpiece Film Festival, which is on at the Edinburgh Fringe, on Friday the 23rd of August. And usually I am in such promoter mode but I've just finished touring the show and I'm actually taking it kind of easy to not do anything for a little bit so maybe next time I'll come on when I can just badger you. <laughs> so where can people find you online so they can keep up with you? So disappointingly everyone is on Instagram I am not but you can follow me on Twitter at Pariah Khan. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, or if you'd like to stay updated with future In Conversation episodes, subscribe to our SoundCloud channel at Words of Colour. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram with that handle, or Facebook at Words of Colour Productions. See you next month. Thank you, Pariah. Goodbye.